You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time Ask Me Anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R dot com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode from my YouTube live show, I talk more about Swarm and Kubernetes for container orchestration and how I believe you should learn both. I answer questions from my YouTube live audience and share some pros and cons of using each of the orchestrators. I recently updated my Docker mastery course to include Kubernetes, so now you can get the best training on Docker, Compose, Swarm, and Kubernetes in a single course. Docker mastery now includes over 15 hours of video. You can get discount coupons for all of my courses at brett.show slash courses. That's B-R-E-T dot S-H-O-W slash courses. Thanks for listening. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to my show. I am live from Berlin this week, and we are here to actually talk about Kubernetes and the Swarm. My wife, Beth, is in the background. We're about to go out, and I have our first day in Berlin, so that's going to be fun. But uh, we're here for a couple of weeks, and we're going to be at multiple conferences. First, Udemy Live, which is their first, their uh, big conference of the year for instructors. So we'll be learning about how to make better videos for you, basically. And then the second one is at the GoToConference. You probably saw that in the ad at the beginning. And at GoToConf, uh, I have a whole day workshop on Swarm and Kubernetes, allowing you to build clusters with both and then understand the differences and then help you make decisions around which one to use for which projects. So that's what I thought would be the topic of today, because at the same time, we've been working hard the last few weeks to launch our sort of major Docker mastery update to now include Kubernetes. So let's take a look. So in case, you're, in case you haven't seen the emails, uh, I've been sending out a lot of emails lately. There is now over 40 new videos if you are already a, a uh, student in the Docker Mastery course. So if you haven't had the courses, you can go to the URL I had it posted a while ago. It's brettfisher.com slash courses or slash Docker or pretty much just go to brettfisher.com. And you can get a coupon for the course to get it for $10, but this course on Udemy now has an more, let's see, at least two hours worth of new content. I think it's probably closer to four hours of new content. Um, we stopped counting at some point, but it's over 40 videos. It's five new sections, and you'll find them at the bottom of the course. So you'll see down here, they're just ba they basically all have the word Kubernetes in them. And what's unique about this and what I'm excited to talk about and what we're going to be talking about at, at uh, GoToConference is not just knowing one orchestrator, right? That the, the world loves Kubernetes right now and everybody's talking about it, everybody's learning it, um, but it's not the only thing out there, right? Amazon has ECS still, there's Nomad, which is also still a viable option, and there's Swarm and Kubernetes. So. Azure actually has their own that you can technically get. Uh, there's other options out there. Kubernetes probably takes all the oxygen out of the room and everyone just talks about that, but that's not the only one being run, right? There's actually a lot of people using other orchestrators. They just don't, they don't have a marketing team behind them to talk about it as much on the internet. So I wanna make sure that you 
are considering other options and you know why you're choosing the orchestrator you're choosing and you don't just go blindly toward Kubernetes without having at least a little bit of awareness on what else there is out there. And I think like all of us in IT, we, we will learn a new tool to solve a new problem and that's the hammer, right? And once you get that hammer, <laughs> everything starts to look like a nail. And once you learn one orchestrator, every project looks like it should use that, that tool, right? And so I think it's good for us and healthy for us, even if we only need one to try something else at some point and learn the differences because it'll, it'll help you understand what other options are out there. And then you won't just use the same hammer for all the nails, right? So I, this course started with Swarm two and a half years ago and Kubernetes was pretty early during that period. And I intentionally didn't add it to the course because one, I wasn't convinced everybody needed it and I'm still not. Um, two, it was much more complicated than the other orchestrators at the time and was full of, I wouldn't say bugs, but it just had feature limitations and things that didn't make it the clear, obvious choice every time. So I thought, well, hey, let's start with Docker, let's learn Swarm, and then if they want to go learn Kubernetes, they can do that, right? And that's what people have done. And in fact, in a lot of my consulting and a lot of the clients and companies that I talk to, they do the same thing. They Everybody learns Docker and they maybe even spin up some Docker containers in production. And then once they want to do orchestration, they might try out Swarm and consider that. And the team has to learn. They have to learn how to handle multi-server clusters. How do you back up a you know, raft protocol database? How do you design that infrastructure? How do you deal with storage and networking and ingress and all those things? And then once you've learned Swarm, it's not a huge as of, as of a leap to Kubernetes because a lot of the same concepts still exist. So what we're going to do is I'm going to actually play one of the videos from the course it's about eight minutes long. And then I'm going to take your questions and then we'll see where that goes. So here is a preview of the 40 plus videos. This specific video, this lecture is about Swarm versus Kubernetes and the strategy and differences, not necessarily the feature differences, but more about how you should approach which one you should think for each project and how to make better decisions in IT basically for which tool to use for the right job. So let's check that out. And I'll be in the chat while I'm playing this video, so. Kubernetes or Swarm? It's one of the most popular questions I get after someone learns enough about orchestration to then wanna make a decision about which one to use. And I would recommend that you first watch the videos on Swarm, especially the very first video of that, that's Swarm mode, built-in orchestration, because again, that'll give you the background on why orchestration is necessary to solve certain problems. And then also watch the videos previously in this section about Kubernetes, so that you understand the background of both tools before we continue. And as a baseline here, these are both tools that solve similar problems. They're both container orchestrators that run on top of a container runtime. In this video series, you have learned about the Docker container runtime. There are other ones now, Containerd and Cryo. And really, Docker is the number one. It's used in almost every case. And both are backed by vendors and teams of people working on the products. 
Now, in general, if I had to make a tweet to compare the two, it would simply be that Swarm is easy to build out, easy to add nodes to, easy to get started, and easy to manage. So easy is definitely the one-liner thing that I would say for Swarm. But it doesn't solve all use cases where Kubernetes has much more functionality, flexibility, and customization. It can solve more problems in more ways and also generally has wider adoption and support. So for you, in order to help you decide which one you want to use, we're gonna go through some bullets of advantages of each. And I think it's important really for all of us if you're going to be in the DevOps community and use these tools to solve business problems that you should know both. You should be able to install both and then deploy apps on both and know some of the basic functionality around deploying apps, creating ingress, options for traffic coming in and then updating those apps. And I think that that alone will just get you enough of familiarity with the tools so that you know which one to use to solve which problems. So there are many advantages to each. Let's break this down real quick. On the Swarm side, as you've been learning throughout this course, it comes with Docker. So it's a single vendor supported solution, which means that the container runtime and the orchestrator are built by the same company. And that reaps a lot of rewards, including less complexity, smaller resource usage just for running the thing. Running Swarm has very little resource utilization on top of Docker. And it's designed with the developer workflow in mind, so it's very good for ops and developers to use. And like I said, it's easy to deploy and manage an orchestrator of this type. It can easily grow to many hundreds, if not thousands of nodes, and you won't necessarily need a large team to manage it. You might say that it follows the 80-20 rule where it has 20% of the features of Kubernetes and that solves 80% of the use cases for running containers in orchestration. Now that's not a scientific comparison. I don't really know the exact feature number. I don't know how you'd even really do that. But that seems to be the feel of it when you run both that you realize that Swarm solves a majority of use cases for running web apps uh, long-running solutions on servers, whether it's in the cloud or data center, or even on small devices. And it seems to work well out of the box. It has what you need. It has the networking. It has the ingress. It has the encryption, all that stuff. It has the database. So out of the box, it really solves a lot of problems. But it doesn't solve all the use cases for all the scenarios to run an app on a machine. And that's where Kubernetes can fill the gap. Another big advantage of this is that it runs wherever Docker runs. And Docker Engine being six years old now and the start of this whole container revolution, the engine runs in more places than any other tooling. It runs not just on Linux, it runs on Windows, it runs on mainframe, it runs on ARM devices, which means embedded, IoT, Raspberry Pis. It runs on old ARM, new ARM, 32-bit, 64-bit, like I said, it's just all over the place. It runs natively on Windows Server for years now, since Server 2016. So it definitely is the longest supported orchestrator for a diverse multi-architecture environment, if that's your needs. Out of the box, it is secure, and you've heard me talk about that in this course, that when you create a swarm and you add nodes, it ensures mutual TLS authentication, it encrypts the control plane, and it encrypts the database to protect your secrets in case you want to store those. And that's great because I find a lot of teams, when they're rushed on deadlines or maybe they're a little overwhelmed with the complexity, tend to forget or skip some of the security requirements that other tools like Kubernetes require. 
And lastly here, I believe that it's easier to troubleshoot because there's less moving parts with it. There's less things to manage. And since it's built into Docker by default, if you know how to troubleshoot Docker, then you probably know how to troubleshoot Swarm. It uses the same daemon logs. It uses the same Docker logs command for the apps. And it uses the same Docker events command for looking at events on the nodes and the Swarm itself. Now that sounds like a lot of advantages for Swarm, but I don't want you to think that that's always gonna be the right thing for you. In general, Swarm is the tool that I recommend when people start out and they're starting small, maybe they're a single person or just one or two, three people in their team and they need to see if a small, simple orchestrator is gonna work for them. I always recommend Swarm first, unless you know absolutely you have to use Kubernetes, I do recommend Swarm. Once you think you've hit some limits in Swarm and you think that you can't quite get what you need out of it, that's when it's time to look at Kubernetes. Let's talk about some of those advantages now. First up, that clouds and vendors really love to support Kubernetes. Since it has become so popular and especially sort of a zeitgeist type popularity in the news and the media, it is something that every vendor now is looking to check off on their list of we support Kubernetes. So I would say it absolutely has the widest cloud and vendor support. Every cloud vendor does provide a offering of Kubernetes. So if you don't want to run it yourself, you can just let them start all the systems up and then you're essentially just running your apps on there using Kubernetes deployment files. And even infrastructure vendors now have their own Kubernetes distribution, including VMware, Red Hat, even companies like Netflix, who's traditionally just a storage vendor, has their own approved version or distribution of Kubernetes. And so the obvious thing here seems to be that it has the widest adoption and support, and that's definitely true. But beyond that, it also has the widest set of supported use cases. Since it has so many more things to toggle and fiddle with and so many different features and third-party options, it definitely covers more of the edge cases than Swarm does. And in fact, you'll start seeing this with vendors you probably already work with today where they will do Kubernetes-first support, which is my way of saying that vendors will look to see how they can support Kubernetes with their product before they'd bother to go look at Docker's Swarm product, especially because since the industry is sort of in this attitude of everything needs to support Kubernetes, you're gonna find that vendors you already have may already have a distribution or a solution for running their tools on Kubernetes. For example, with Jenkins from the company CloudBees, if you've bought their enterprise solution, they give you Kubernetes tooling and samples how, on how to run it. Doesn't mean you can't run Jenkins on Swarm, it runs great there. It just means that you're gonna get better support from the vendor for that. And the last advantage I'll mention here is sort of a weird advantage. And I'm gonna throw up this term of no one ever got fired for buying IBM. Now, this saying was popular decades ago when IBM was the largest vendor for computing and outsourcing your hardware and your mainframes and your PCs. And there was this whole time where they were really killing it in the marketplace. And essentially, if you couldn't make a decision on which vendor you wanted to go with, if you just went the safe way, you would be going with IBM and you would never really get fired for that because it was the trusted vendor of the time. I would say that in general, for the Kubernetes platform as a whole, that has become the case now. And I would argue it even has gotten to the point of being a checkoff item for CIOs and CTOs. That can be a little bit good and bad because that can mean that you will be told to run Kubernetes even though you don't have technical requirements yet. You're just told by your management that we need to run Kubernetes. 
And that for them might be just something they want to run regardless of what the technical requirements or benefits are or comparing it to different platforms. That is obviously part of this political world where IT decisions aren't always made on technical merit or requirements alone. It can often be by the ease of use of buying it. In other words, if you already have a vendor that has one, you might just use their product instead of another one because it's easier. Or your team experience in the background might have better experience from their past jobs or projects. And so you're just going to deploy that one because someone already knows it. Or maybe you're going to buy it because, unfortunately, your management read a magazine or read the internet, and the internet told them they need to pick a certain product like Kubernetes, and so that's the one they're telling you to use. In fact, when I do live workshops and I ask people why they chose the orchestrator they're running, the most common answer I get from them, unfortunately, is still, my boss told me to do this. So people don't always get a say in what they run, which is why I'm trying to give you a good balance of the tooling and features of both so that you'll be the most educated person in your team and be able to help them with the true technical requirements and help you make the best decision. All right. Um, that was one of 40-some videos in Docker Mastery on Kubernetes. Now, uh, one of the common questions I get is, does this mean you're not doing a Kubernetes mastery course? No, not at all. Uh, Docker mastery has become a mega course of sorts. It talks about Docker and Compose and Swarm and a little bit of cloud in there. And it talks about Docker machine a few minutes and it talks about Kubernetes and registry. It's just got a whole lot of stuff in there. And I imagine over time, it'll continue to keep growing, right? That course is still the major intro point for people learning container tools. But uh, what's starting to happen is as you want to dive specific into a certain tool, especially things that are complex like orchestration, at the end of those sections, you'll be able to jump off to other courses. So today there's Swarm Mastery, which has more details than you get on the Docker Mastery course for Swarm. Kubernetes Mastery will be the same thing. And we've been working on that all year long. And in fact, uh, a lot of these videos that you see here, none of these videos will be in Kubernetes Mastery. We'll actually take a different approach. But a lot of the same learnings that you have in these videos in Docker Mastery, you will get that in a whole lot more in Kubernetes Mastery. It'll be a much bigger course and it'll be solely focused on Kubernetes. It won't talk about swarm comparisons. It won't talk, you know, it just won't cover any of that because it's, it's dialed in right on the Kubernetes ecosystem itself, right? So Docker Mastery is a more uh, a general course where it won't get really, really deep in any one topic. It's now over 150 videos. So there's always going to be something that someone wants me to add to that course, but we're, we're going to keep updating it. It's uh, just hit, I think, over 113,000 students. So uh, it's still very popular and we get a lot of good feedback. So we're going to keep maintaining that while these new courses are launching. So we've been working on Kubernetes Mastery now for months. And in fact, you know, part of what's going to be in that course is partly what I'm teaching in my live workshop. So here at GoTo in two weeks or in a, yeah, in a week and a half, <laughs> um, I will be teaching that uh, part of what will be in that course will be in the full day workshop. So, um, yeah. And I think I'll see a few of you there. Actually, I know some of you are coming to some of my prior students are coming to the live workshop and that's gonna be a lot of fun and we'll get some time to hang out, talk about containers. So let me jump through the questions real quick and 
I'm I'm not going to skip your questions, but if they aren't Kubernetes specific, I I will save them till the end. So I'm going to just sort of scroll through and see if we can find anything specific about that. Uh, on the course, use Minikube or default Kubernetes on Docker Desktop. If you have Docker Desktop, uh, I would recommend using Kubernetes in there to, to get started with. It's the easiest way to learn. It's, it's just a click button. It's going to use less resources than Minikube. It's going to be built into the existing VM of Docker. So it's, gonna, it's not going to be a separate VM like Minikube would be. But it's not going to work for everyone, right? If you're not on Windows 10 Pro, then you can't use Docker Desktop. So Minikube would be the next option. Um, if you're on something like Windows 10 Pro and Mac and you already have Docker Desktop, the other reason you might want to eventually play with something else like Minikube or K, uh, let's see, Micro K8s, which is just installing it on a Linux machine natively or maybe a cloud VM is uh, Docker Desktop doesn't allow you to do clusters, so you can't set up multiple servers in a, in a cluster fashion. And Docker Desktop is a fixed version of Kubernetes. So I think right now it might be 1.15, possibly even 1.14 is the uh, release that you get with the latest Docker Desktop. And we just had Kubernetes 1.16 release because Kubernetes is on a quarterly release cycle. So if you're someone who wants to know the latest and greatest of Kubernetes, and you want to play with all the latest tools, you'll probably want to check out something like Minikube or Micro K8s or K3S, if you've checked that out, or um, there's KND, Kind. <laughs> there's lots of these tools. So KIND, um, you might want to call it Kind or KND, which stands for Kubernetes and Docker. And that's a, a cool project that's actually run by the Kubernetes community to simply allow you to spin up Kubernetes inside a Docker container so that you don't even need to spin up a separate VM. You just run it right inside your Docker. And all of these have pros and cons, right? They're, on one end, it's complicated. It uses lots of resources. Um, and you might not want to use it on a laptop with battery. And on the other end is the easy to use tools, but they may, there's probably limitations to them, like the Docker desktop version thing. Or whatever. So I, I, when I'm just playing around with Kubernetes and I don't have any specific testing of versions or whatever, I always use Docker Desktop because Kubernetes is just a checkbox. You can turn it on and off with a checkbox and it works great. So good question. Um, let's see. When am I planning on releasing the Kubernetes course? So Kubernetes Mastery, I don't, I don't give timelines because quite frankly, we, we're never, I'm never right. <laughs> Whatever date I tell you will be wrong. Um, but we, are, we just launched the Docker Mastery content. So we're starting in a couple of weeks, we're starting to record those videos. All the content is already made, and I've got a team with me I'm actually partnering with Jerome Pedazzoni, which you may have seen on this show before. Uh, he is a prior Docker engineer that actually worked at Docker all, from all the way back before it was even called Docker. And he has excellent content, and we're using a lot of his content in the course because he's been testing and teaching it for years. So that will be part of the basis for the slides. And he, so we have all the content ready to record. I just need to get in front of a camera and then we'll launch that um, hopefully by the end of the year. That's our goal. 
and we'll see. So, you know, stay on the newsletters, watch me on YouTube. You'll, you'll see the stuff when it releases if you're on any of my uh, social channels or the newsletter. And yes, soon. <laughs> it's always soon. It's, I wish it was sooner than later. It's usually later. But um, yeah, it's going to be a great course. I'm, I'm excited to dive into a lot of the things we couldn't cover in Docker Mastery and you know a lot of the third-party tools and stuff that we just couldn't fit into Docker Mastery. So where can we get Docker versus Kubernetes? That would be in the, the course that we're just talking about. So that video you just saw was a part of Docker Mastery. So you can get that at uh, the link above, brettfisher.com slash docker or slash courses, that will get you to the coupons and you can get the course for $10 with my coupon on my website. <laughs> yeah, and if you missed the video, uh, just hang out on YouTube for a little bit and then later it'll show back up in an hour and you can rewind the video and watch it. Will I cover Itzio? That's a great question. Uh, that is not covered, it is mentioned, but not covered in Docker Mastery. Again, at some point you have to stop and service mesh is not technically part of the core of Kubernetes. In fact, service mesh will probably need to be its own course that you basically have to learn Docker, then lose, learn Kubernetes, and then learn service mesh. And service mesh is super bleeding edge, like, in my opinion. Very few companies are actually using it in production um, in comparison to the rest. I mean, there's majority of average companies are still learning how to adopt containers and service mesh is typically something they do later and it's more for microservice architectures and once you get into the hundreds of servers and thousands of containers and you've got a lot going on and you want to route that so there's also a lot of stuff happening in service mesh just in the last month and a half i think there's been three major new products launched as new service mesh products so the challenge there is to not uh, not make a course that's going to be completely outdated in six months, right? So I don't know. Tell me, tell me what you think. Uh, you know, if you I did a service mesh course next year, what would you want to see in it, right? What products do you think people are using? What are you using? Um, I'd always love to see that in the comments or in, you know below or in the chat for this course. So it's a great question. Uh, can you give a clear deployment architecture diagram picture on how a Java-based application, non-microservices, in Kubernetes production environment? So, not the top of my head, but I will tell you that having worked, uh, in fact, one of my biggest, earliest Docker projects before Kubernetes was really uh, a stable thing, was on Java, you know, on Java Elasticsearch uh, across a large enterprise, a multinational company. So um, I will tell you that Java apps and containers pretty much work like Java apps without containers. Um, you, you're just creating a Docker file and you're deciding on whether you want, you know, the closed source or the open source Java, like which Java runtimes do you want? And you pick the right Docker images and you build your Docker images up and you run your Java apps. And the biggest part usually with deploying, you know, any sort of what I would call pre-container app into a container is usually figuring out how to get all the environment variables set at runtime. So you got to get those config files dynamic so that you can make changes, you know, based on the environment that it's going to run in and that your image is designed for that so that you can sort of 
configure all of the config files at runtime instead of during the build time. And then it's just about you know designing it in the architecture so that it's redundant. Um, so typically, if it's a standard Java app, it's probably going to be a Kubernetes deployment, which will create a replica set. And you may be able to run multiple copies of that container on across different servers. And so that deployment, would you would set up a replica set similar to Swarm services with Swarm replicas. And you would create some health checks. The nice thing is in Kubernetes is you get two types of health checks, live and readiness. And those give you more granularity in how you check your app on whether it's uh, up and running and healthy and whether or not it's ready for connections. Because if it's receiving incoming connections from an ingress or a proxy or something, you want to control that. And so it gives you much more fine-grained control in that area than Swarm does. But not everybody needs that. A lot of people, you know, it's fine just to have one health check and it works great. So that's why often I will suggest Swarm first because when people are starting out with containers, they don't usually need the complexity of Kubernetes up front. And Kubernetes is so complex enough for large companies to implement that uh, it would be a shame to avoid using containers in production just so that you had to spend months learning Kubernetes and getting you know all the teams trained and everybody up on all the products. So um, I don't have a diagram for Java, but quite frankly, it would be the same as a PHP app in terms of architecture. It would just be containers in YAML. And uh, in fact, if you're in Docker Mastery and you take the Kubernetes stuff, you will see some really basic examples of the YAML stuff. And that's what you always start with is the basic YAMLs that comes with the Docker Mastery. And then you build your YAML files from there and you use kube control applied to run them. So that's kind of how that works. All right. Um, Uh, in K8's course, will you cover the different types of setup you mentioned before? So yes, um, to a certain extent. So in Docker Mastery, it, Kubernetes is in there, like Swarm is in there, and Docker itself is in there. It's not designed to give you all the things you need for production setup. So Kubernetes and Docker Mastery will focus on you using it for learning and then also as a developer deploying apps. Typically, a developer does not have to build all the server infrastructure unless you're a really, really small team or you happen to be the ops person. So I didn't include that in Docker Mastery because I wasn't sure that I didn't think it would be needed for everyone to know all those different options because there's now over 80 ways to deploy Kubernetes. There's over 80 distributions and every vendor has one. And so the way that you deploy those are all going to be different. So the basics of micro K8s versus Docker desktop versus, you know, uh, mini cube, stuff like that. That's in Docker mastery. And we'll, we'll also talk about that in the new course as well. I'm not sure yet which of the major distributions I will go through in Kubernetes mastery um, because there's, there's just so many. I mean, obviously Docker and Red Hat and um, Rancher are some of the biggest. So those will definitely be mentioned. It's just a question of, how much, how much we get into them. Um, I just saw new updates on Mastery. Incredible, thank you. Uh, would you say you're favoring K8s over Swarm now? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I would say I've, I've been a fan of Swarm for people because my audience is usually people learning containers, right? So 
I'm, a, I'm still a fan of that for learning, for getting started. You know, Docker just released 1903. They added some small new features to Swarm, and they've got two major new PRs they're working on for major new features, including storage and uh, what was the other one? Oh, cron jobs. And they're just basically looking at Kubernetes and waiting to see what you know features are really used heavily, and then they tend to do that 80-20 rule where they add them into Swarm. So I still think Swarm is really great for a lot of people, and I still teach it first, and that's in the workshop next week or in a week and a half. We will learn Swarm in the morning and then Kubernetes in the afternoon um, because the, you can build on your Swarm learning when you're learning Kubernetes. But um, you, know, you can't deny that Kubernetes has won the hearts and minds of the internet. So I think for a lot of organizations that aren't Docker, you know, Docker focused on the Docker tool set, uh, Kubernetes will be an inevitable for them, even if they're, they don't necessarily need it. I think that'll, that's a real thing. But um, I think with my consulting practice, we still, we still take the organization through a series of uh, you know, questions and research to try to figure out what their real requirements are. And we'll still pick Swarm for them if they don't have any necessity for Kubernetes. And in fact, uh, a project that I'm working on right now, um, we're con still considering Swarm for that because they're very, they're just at the beginning of the Kubernetes or uh, container journey, right? They're just starting out with containers. They don't have a large team to manage all these Kubernetes servers, so they want to keep it simple. They only want, uh, they only have like two people part-time working on the servers, so they can't uh, afford a really complicated setup. They don't want to buy something, so they want to use open source. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a place where Swarm still fits. So I guess it depends is the answer. Uh, let's see. Do I need to know Swarm before I start with Kubernetes? No, not at all. Um, but in the Docker Mastery course, if you follow the videos in order, they will go from Docker, then you, le you learn Compose, and then you learn Swarm, and then you learn Kubernetes. Actually, and somewhere in there you learn the registry as well. But I teach Swarm and then Kubernetes so that you have a better understanding of the different options because not everybody even needs orchestration. Some people just can use regular Docker, right? Some people don't even need Docker. They use LXC containers because those are even, e uh, you know, they're not necessarily easier, but they're, there's less overhead, less things to worry about on a Linux server. But I don't really teach that. Uh, Kubernetes, most courses out there, in fact, I think I'm the only one that teaches Swarm and Kubernetes. Every other course out there, everyone else you take, they're just going to focus on Kubernetes and send you down that road. Um, and that's fine. If you know you have to use Kubernetes, then you might as well just start there. I think it's a little better for us as engineers to at least understand the basics of these different tools. So I teach, I typically teach Swarm first, but not always. The Kubernetes mastery course will be Kubernetes only. It's not going to have any Swarm in it. So good question. All right. All right. So I've answered all the Kubernetes questions and we're getting close to uh, the end of the hour. So I'm going to scroll all the way back up to the top. So thank you for waiting. If you had a non Kubernetes question, let's see here. Um, a noob question or node question, <laughs> a node question. Your ultimate Docker file uses NPM CI. What if you have a legacy project that doesn't have a usable lock file? And then I think you go on down here. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, no. I think that's a different question. Sorry. Let's, let's answer the first question. Uh, so if you're, if you're on an old version of Node, uh, this is specifically around the Node.js course, the Docker for Node.js course that I have. Um, 
Node.js will not work if you don't have a lock file in later versions. It'll complain about it. So either create the lock file, because it's just a lock file is created from the package JSON. So it's not like you have to hand create it or do anything like that. But if you're just not allowed to, then you're going to have to use an old, an old version of Node. And that old version probably won't have the npm ci command. So you just use npm i and you can use npm i or npm install dash dash production uh, in your Docker files. And then that will get you only your production dependencies. So hopefully that helps. All right. Uh, next one. E ever given thought on setting up a list of Linux applications to remove from a production that make it more like a Go app? So I think what you're talking about here is Scratch. Okay, so in Docker, uh, not necessarily on the Windows side, but on the Linux side of containers, there's this scenario called Scratch containers where you start from nothing. There's literally not a single file in the container. And then for apps that can compile into a binary, and all their dependencies are included in that binary, static binary, that uh, goes in the container and Go developers or Golang are, it's known, that's a popular choice because it's built into the tooling to make it really easy to have a single file for their program. And then they'll just have a container with one file in it. The reality though, is I just don't see people doing that a lot in production. It typically takes you a very, a long amount of time to get an advanced team that knows how to handle containers when you can't even exec into a shell in that container, right? So um, there are tools to work around this, but if you only have a Go file in your container, then you can't exec a shell. You can't do a directory listing. <laughs> you know, you can't do anything. So um, I don't see people removing those things. Uh, certainly not the standard utilities. I mean, CDLS, those kind of examples, they're actually a part of the shell. So they're not even their own commands, really. Um, but apps get and stuff like that. Um, certainly, if you didn't want that, but you could, you could start from scratch. But the challenge there is, how do you get all your dependencies in there, right? So most applications use apt-get and their own package managers to install dependencies, and you trying to avoid that is going to be a lot of pain and suffering for what I consider to be little gain. I think it's a much, if you're thinking about this in terms of security, because space shouldn't be the issue, you know, deleting those things isn't going to save a lot of space. Um, typically, your app and its direct dependencies are going to be the large part of the space, not, not the other utilities. But if you're thinking about security, Go check out my AMA. I think that's um, uh, brett.show slash AMA. Yeah, we'll take you to my Ask Me Anything. I'll put that in chat. So go check out my AMA. There's a security stuff. There's a security list in there that talks about the general order of things you should do for container security and. A good example is if you haven't done steps A, B, or C in security, then don't consider going in like removing standard utilities from your container images because that's not really going to help. It's going to be a lot of work and it's not going to have a lot of benefit because there's all these other things you should be doing first for security before you even consider something like that. So there's a quick list there that will take you through the biggest bang for the buck, like turning on user namespaces, a really important issue. Um, if you want to lock down your containers and it's really just one setting in the Docker daemon and it then suddenly won't use root for running any of your containers anymore. Um, so check that out. Check out that list. I think that would, will help you if you're concerned about security. 
let's see. Okay, here's a good question. Uh, do you have an opinion about Docker Inc. difficulty? Did Docker Inc. have, uh, did they basically, did Docker make mistakes? And what is my opinion? So uh, obviously every startup makes mistakes. And I think the hardest part for any startup, whether it's an open source or any other business, is to go from your first good idea to having a profitable idea, right? Docker, the project was a really great idea. Obviously it took the world by storm, millions and millions of people use it. But how they sustain themselves long-term um, is still a question for the, you know, the venture capitalists and the investors and the project managers. From my point of view, what I see is they're working really hard. They're, they're focused on the Docker enterprise product line. They're getting a lot of new clients. The question is, can that income outpace their expenses? And they've got, I don't know, somewhere between 300 and 500 employees now. So they've got a lot of expenses and they went after more, more money. They, and this is, I think, their third or fourth round. That's totally normal in, in Silicon Valley. Like that's a normal thing, right? Twitter took nine years, I think, before Twitter even made their first profitable dollar. So, you know, Docker's in year six. Uh, as a project, I think only year five as a company. So I'm not terribly worried. There's people talk about them being bought out, but that's obviously we don't know what's going on there, but that's probably been happening for years. There's probably lots of companies that have had conversations with Docker to purchase them. Because if you look at the container ecosystem, almost every company out there that was a startup has been bought by somebody. Like a lot of the major ones, um, the one that comes to mind is Heptio from uh, some of the founders of Kubernetes it was a startup to offer really uh, basically top end, top tier Kubernetes consulting and their own Kubernetes distribution. They got bought up by VMware. So Google, VMware, um, Microsoft, Docker, all these companies are buying other companies. Docker did a bunch of acquisitions their first couple of years, and they, I don't know that they've done much recently. But I'm, I'm not worried about the projects or the product. Maybe someday they will be purchased and then a different company will be managing those projects but i'm not concerned about the the products themselves the tools themselves because they're definitely popular enough i mean when you have over a million people using your product every day and that's docker desktop when you have that kind of growth and that kind of usage you know any company is going to want to keep that thing alive so that's why i think they released a couple of months ago they released docker desktop enterprise which is a paid offering for the desktop app with more features it has a gui stuff like that so i hope they get um, enough money to sort of see this thing through and see uh, their vision through because they just released some new open source this week they released a new security project focused on arm devices and really a, a, a design around security to make it easier for us to develop on across different platforms and make them secure so that's really exciting and they keep releasing new products you know throughout the year so um i do hope they keep getting money and i don't think the news is i mean the news is the news right and i just happen to work with the people inside of these companies every day so i know there's good people there they're doing good work i'm, I'm not terribly worried about the projects i just hope they um they get to profitability here pretty soon um before they run out of money Great question, though.
Uh, let's see a question on he, uh, I hear it swarm loses DNS inside overlay networks from time to time under load. Is this true or not? I have not seen that sort of issue in years. Um, the thing about Swarm is 2017-2018, it went through major, major uh, bug fixes and still gets significant bug fixes every release. So typically when I'm working with someone who has a, a Swarm problem, I always find out they're a year behind. You know, like they're, they're on a year old uh, uh, version and that there's been dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of fixes since then. So I typically have them do that. Uh, but under load, I think is relative. Um, DNS in Swarm and Overlay is a part of the gossip network, I believe. And the gossip protocols are, um, I'm not sure if they're UDP based, but it's, it's one of those things where certain servers under certain load may not get the updates as fast as other ones. So the first thing when I'm troubleshooting stuff around networking performance or certain servers not getting updates is I probably find out they're using too small of an instance. They're overusing their networking. Um, so I typically on all containers and all container tools, I typically opt for larger instances with even 10 gigabit networking in AWS. So I'd rather have five really large servers than 50 tiny servers, right? Or 50, um, C instances or T instances or whatever, the sort of the basic general purpose instances. I'd rather have higher performance and fewer servers. I still have your redundancy and your load balancing and all that. But um, if you look at the clouds, typically those cheaper instances that are less than $100 a month, they have pretty poor networking. Like my home gigabit switch has better networking, <laughs> you know? So that's the kind of stuff I look at first. So maybe check that out. All right. Um, One, let's do a few more questions. How does container to container communication work on Windows with Windows containers? I can ping each other's IPs, but not the host name. Host name. Um, if we're talking about Docker or just Docker containers in general, it should work. And that largely depends on, um, so if you're talking about the host name of the container, um, so the host name in a container is normally the container ID, and that's not normally what you want to use to talk between containers. So you usually, let's assume we're talking about Swarm or a Docker bridge network that you've custom created. On those networks, when you create the name for the container or the service, that is the DNS name by default. If you're in a service and you create multiple replicas, then the service name will be the, the name and it's actually got a virtual IP in front of it. So uh, I, you don't normally use host names because in default in Docker, those are the IDs and those you really don't need. It. I, I, it's one of those things where I don't even know if the ID is a DNS name because it's never recommended to use those because it, as soon as you change the container, that host name and ID will change. So you wanna stick with network aliases, which is an option if you're using Docker Run. If you're using Swarm, Swarm services have it all built in. But uh, my experience with Windows containers is that the DNS and the, and the way that you talk to your different containers is exactly the same way as it is with Docker on Linux. That's the design of Docker was that you didn't have to change these, these things on different OSs, that it just operated the same way. So um, if you have any more questions on that, send me a tweet or something in the Docker Mastery chat if you're experiencing an actual issue. 
Um, what are your thoughts regarding AWS versus Google Cloud versus DigitalOcean? What is your preference? Um, I don't have a preference. It's usually uh, when I'm working with customers, they already have their own preference. And I mean, DigitalOcean is great and easy to for me personally, and for really small small you know, individual people or just a team of a couple of developers. And they focus on developers, but most companies are, that are, you know, they have actual full-time DevOps people or operations sysadmins people, they're gonna go to Azure or AWS, and those are both fine. And they all run Docker and Kubernetes great. So I don't have a terrible preference. Um, I For my own little learnings and playing with projects, I tend to use DigitalOcean because it's just easier. But I'm giving a workshop in a week and a half here, and all 20 students are gonna get their own three servers, and I use a script to set up AWS instances for them. So in that case, it was just easier to use AWS um, because you know I know that. I know that one really well. So uh, Google's also cool, and a lot of companies I think are choosing Google for Kubernetes because they were they built Kubernetes. So um, that, you know, if you were, but honestly, most of the time, when I, whenever I get involved with a project, that decision's already been made. So I don't really get to weigh in on it. Uh, have you done load balancing and proxying with gRPC? No. Sorry. <laughs> um, we have a single server in production environments and we use Docker Compose with 30 services on it. Uh, in such a scenario with a single node, should I consider to switch for Swarm or K8s? Yes, consider Swarm. Swarm is a smooth path if you're already using Docker Compose and you're used to that, the same file with very few modifications will work in Swarm. And if you reference my brett.show slash AMA link that I put in earlier, my Ask Me Anything on GitHub has a specific question and answer about that. It talks about if you just have a single server, should you use Compose or Swarm? And I always say use Swarm. It's got more features. It allows you to do auto updates or uh, updates rather without failure. You can do rolling updates. So you can do all that on one server. So, um, we're going to create an image on a build server for a site that must run Composer to complete the file dependencies to be accurate should run Composer inside the container, not in the build server. Yes, use every, do everything inside the containers. Once you have the images of containers, you eventually need to change all of your build infrastructure and all your CI, CD infrastructure to do everything in the containers um, including your testing, right? So all the testing and everything should be also done in those containers as well. Um, Ronald says, uh, if you're in Berlin, let me invite you for a beer. <laughs> um, sure, hit me up on Twitter and um, you never know. I'll be at uh, the GoTo conference in a week and a half. Um, just hit me up on Twitter and um, we'll say hi. Cheers, we'll have a beer. So the build server has, let's see, oh. Um, Biker, I'm not gonna be able to answer that other question of yours, sorry about that. Um, if you wanna discuss it in Docker, in the Slack channel, feel free to discuss that later. What load balancer would you recommend traffic is top notch or not? Uh, I like traffic, I think it works really great in containers, I'm a fan, I wear their t-shirt, I have their sticker on my laptop. Um, I teach them and I, I talk about them in my, my conference talks because they're, they were meant for containers. They were built in the container world where, and it's not that any of the other ones are bad. It's just they're all, they've been around a long time. So they're quite stable, Nginx, HAProxy, F5, whatever. They're all quite stable, but 
there are more, I, I tend to find there are more work, right? Um, traffic has auto SSL out of the box, all that stuff. So I like it. Uh, won't be able to answer this question completely, uh, but what is the level of security provided by AppArmor, SecComp, SE Linux, Docker capabilities? All right, well, Docker capability, let me see if I can do rapid fire on this one. Um, SE Linux, if you have it, use it. AppArmor, if you have it, use it. Those are usually two separate things on different uh, different distributions of Linux have them built in. If you have them turned on, Docker will use them. SecComp is used out of the box by Docker. You don't have to do anything for these things to work with Docker. That's one of the great things of Docker is that it turns all that stuff on with sensible defaults that actually make your containers more secure than if you ran your apps on the host itself, which is why I always argue that just a straight up app, if you took that app, took it out of your host, put it in a container, it's more secure on Docker. Okay, uh, Docker capabilities isn't really a thing yet, so uh, it's it's early days. It, I think it has some basic support in Docker Run, but not in Swarm or Kubernetes. So um, I don't think a lot of people are using that yet. But stay tuned. I think there's more more stuff coming for that. When will uh, when will there be an update on Docker Swarm course? Um, I don't know what the next update on Docker Swarm is. I definitely want to keep it up to date. Um, but not a lot of people are buying it. So <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, if 10 times the people are buying Docker Mastery versus Swarm Mastery, um, how much effort do I put into Swarm Mastery, right? So I think after this, the Kubernetes Mastery course is launched, we'll make a decision around what we're gonna update next. And we'll certainly look through the courses for anything broke or outdated and check that out. So stay tuned. I don't have any courses that are never going to be changed right like all the courses i have the three the three courses will be uh continued to be maintained and uh, updated uh how long do you think it'll take to get up to speed with k8s or swarm knowledge um i, I don't know it kind of depends on what you need to do if you just need to learn the basics uh i mean you know my course has hours of videos on swarm and hours of video on kubernetes and you can learn the basics in a few days if you had you know all the time you know 100 percent of your time there but if you want if you're talking about running in production then obviously it's going to take you weeks or months to really have experience with all the tools because really at the end of the day it's not just these tools it's every other tool that has to talk to them so if kubernetes you got to learn all the different other tools that are going to talk to it like logging and monitoring and all that you know backups all that stuff so it's not always just that tool itself um, but you can go to a day workshop with me and you can leave having had real experience building three node clusters and deploying apps, right? So, um, but I just don't think that you should be expecting to go to production the next day. So, um, what about the learning curve between K8s and Swarm? That's a good question. I think that's why I recommend learning Swarm first because I would say there's 10 times more stuff in Kubernetes than there is in Swarm. So expect to take 10 times longer, right? The reality is you don't need everything in Kubernetes. So Swarm has the 80-20 rule where it takes the 20% of features that Kubernetes has that 80% of us need, and it does that. Um, so you will, you will not waste effort learning Swarm and then going to Kubernetes if you want to learn both tools. If you're in a team that you, you, you know you're going to have to learn Kubernetes and nobody cares about Swarm, then don't bother learning Swarm. You know, save that for later for another project or something. So... All right, well, that's the end of the questions, and we're at our hour, and I'm about to go get some dinner and a beer here in Berlin. So I thank you so much for coming. 
Uh, I will be back here live next week from Austria. So we're going to be taking a train to Vienna. And I'll uh, be on the show with my friend Laura Taco, who you've probably seen on the show before, another Docker captain. And we'll be talking about Docker stuff, of course, and other things. So be back. I'll be back here next week, same time. And then the week after that, um, I'm not sure. We're going to be back here in Ver- Berlin, so we'll see, what, uh, we'll see what's going on. Thank you so much for watching. Check out the Docker resources up top, and I'll see you next week here on YouTube Live. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.